Since starting the Online Disruptor podcast, one of the most popular things I get asked is who was your favourite guest or what was your favourite episode? But I don't think about it like that. I think about moments. In this episode of the Online Disruptor, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to go through four moments that genuinely changed my life. And I truly believe they will change yours as well. From Nadia Essex to Aman Bashir to Belle Savvy and Shane Nolan, we've looked at the data. These are the four most popular moments over all our episodes. And I cannot wait to share this episode with you. So let's dive into this episode of The Online Disruptor. Also, this podcast is sponsored. And if you're watching on YouTube or Spotify video, you'll see exactly who by... I reached out to the founder of Waves Clothing, who I've actually been a customer for for a few months now. And I said, hey, would you like to sponsor the podcast? And they were more than happy to. The two pieces that I'm wearing now, as you can see, are my absolute favourites. It's the Waves hoodie and the Waves beanie. I also asked if we could offer all online disruptor listeners a discount and they were more than happy to do so. So click the link below to check out waves why did you um stick at that because a lot of people will look at that and think nah, too tough can't be bothered would rather have it a little bit easier so to speak what made you want to stick at that the fact of being on telly what was it well i think i think we we were kind of dangled a carrot i mean it was in the <coughs> I very much had the idea, and and this was maybe right or wrong, but in my head, the agency was the sun and the celebs were the planets revolving around the agency. That's kind of how, how the structure of the show worked. But the producers wanted the celebs to be the the main things and the agency very much just to be run, churning along in the background. And I just all and we so we the biggest thing is we thought we fought about that because you know we didn't even get invited to do the advert for the show until I think series four. Like they they literally hired other people to play Eden and I for the celebs good eating promo. Like like they literally didn't invite us. They didn't invite us to the rap party. They didn't invite us to the launch party. Like we were completely and utterly, Tom, Eden and I were completely and utterly excluded from almost everything, pretty much the first four series. And it was really tough. But but we knew that that was going to change because we knew that the more series we did, the more the agency became bigger, the more we all became known, the more, the more we became ingrained in the whole Celebs Good Eating legacy. So you just kind of, you keep going because you think that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Was it an actual agency or was it like a staged, propped agency? Yeah, it was staged and propped. Um, but that, but I, like I did, I had my own business, but the actual 
Celebs Good Dating Agency was a, a paid for stage house. Was um was that gig? Did that help your your business at all? Did you notice any difference between your business or? It it was extremely detrimental to my business actually. So before I started doing Celebs Good Dating, I was charging in the re I was working around I lived in Chelsea lived on the King's Road I was working in Chelsea I had Chelsea clients I was charging 500 to a thousand pounds for a client you know for, for for coaching and the second I went on an e4 reality tv show nobody in Chelsea wanted to touch me like it was just not I had just completely sold my soul to reality tv and all of my clients just oh you know do you want another coaching session oh yeah not this month we're away for you know tarquin's graduation we'll be back next year you know whatever excuse me so that whole side of of my business completely fell apart so i had to re rebrand and restart and i had to get a whole new website and had to do a whole new pricing structure and I had to bring everything down to match like E4 viewers because there was just, I just wasn't getting any high level clients because I was on an E4 reality show. But my whole business got annihilated overnight and then I had to try and rebuild it again. Um, but doing the same job for like a third of charging, like a third of what I was before. So it really did. It was very strange because it was like, I always say it was the best thing that ever happened and it was so difficult and the worst thing as well. Like it had so many negative effects on my life, but it had so many wonderful positive effects as well. It was literally like that. It was, it, the whole thing was mental. Why do you think it um, affected your business in that way? Just you sold your soul sort of thing to reality or what, what, any reason? Reality TV, people were, people are stuck up. Even now, you know, people are stuck up. They don't want you on a BBC documentary. Now they do because they've had to. But, you know, 2016, don't forget this is before really Love Island. They think it had series one of Love Island when we'd started. So this is before Love Island was even a real thing. Before Caroline Flack died. Before anybody knew about Be Kind movement. Like, it was a whole different world. Like, reality TV was very much like you there's no way that you could have done that Zara from Love Island could go and do a BBC documentary like it just wouldn't have happened they just wouldn't touch you um and there was a real snobbery around reality tv um and yeah it was just one of those things people people got a bit snobby and was like what did your parents when you were younger realize that right one day Shane is probably going to be famous or well-known or well-talked about in some form or another. And do you think that worried them a little bit? Because obviously when you were growing up, social media was becoming this big thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, not with me. Not with me. Maybe my brother, because he's done this since we were since he could walk, whereas I didn't sing or do anything until I was 19, 20. Because I played for foot, I played football when I lived down south. Was sort of like trials for Arsenal, Chelsea, all that. And then I moved up north to Blackpool, and I played for Blackpool for two years. And then I realised, right, I'm not good enough footballer. What else am I going to do? <laughs> so I uh, obviously got a few normal jobs and whatnot. And then I uh, became a blue coat. But 
No, I don't think they did. And I think because we've always grown up with famous parents, we always sort of knew how to handle it. Well, I have anyway. I've always sort of known how to handle it. You know, it's like these tweets that are coming out now, people that have written stuff from 15 years ago, you know, like a racist tweet or a homophobic tweet or, you know, when they were kids. You see footballers getting done with it all the time. I've never done anything like that. One, because I'm not a racist or a homophobe, but also I always had famous parents. So I knew if I wrote anything online, they would be the ones that would get affected. Do you know what I mean? So I always, I'd, I'd always known what to do, always had a grasp of it. Uh, yeah, and to be fair, that's something that worries me. Um, I know I've written stuff before, um, but I had never had that responsibility. I never thought about it. Yeah, I've, I've oh mate, I've already done it, and I. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, you you, were, you you know how old are you? Um, twenty three. No, twenty four now. You know, you were around for the social media phase and you were probably writing stupid shit when you were 16, 17. Do you know what I mean? But it doesn't mean that you share them values now. You've grown up. You know what I mean? It's, it's People are quick to judge, man. It winds me up. Yeah. No, I've had a lot of people, just people who don't like me, find old tweets. And it led me to go back and delete them all, but too, too late. And- yeah, but you know what, Liam? If, if nobody... If nobody likes you, it means you're doing something right. If you don't have people that this, if if people if people if people are always writing nice stuff, then I'm thinking, oh shit, I'm not doing it right here. You want you want people to be a little bit jealous, and that's all it is online. It's jealousy, and it's they're doing it for bites. And it, I've realised that I need to stop biting to the nasty people because for every nasty tweet, there's twenty lovely ones. But you always focus on that one nasty, you know, nasty comment. I've always said that criticism um, is the closest people can get to to be relevant, um, and I've I've also also said if you're not prepared to be called a cunt, you're not doing something right. You'll never you'll never grow. So exactly, and I have been called that my whole life. <laughs> yeah, I've been called a lot worse than that, mate. I mean, that's my favourite word, but I uh, I find if someone calls you that, it's quite endearing. Definitely. <clears throat> Something you just said resonates a bit, and I want to ask you your thoughts on this. You said, fake it till you make it. What do you mean by that? It's a really, like, I think entrepreneurship is a very cat and mouse game where people won't buy your product unless they have some sort of social proof that people have already bought your product. And so you're constantly running in circles, right? And with SEO, the other thing is it's like no one wants to be your first campaign, right? And you have to basically, even with a team starting this AI startup, this was really the first startup that we had done without having an older mentor that was really leading us or someone that was giving us money and just kind of doing it the easy way. This was, and I guess fake it till you make it when you're standing up there with your team, you can't really say, Hey guys, I'm just as scared as you. Hey guys, I 
do not know what to do. You just kind of have to figure it out, have that confidence. That's entrepreneurship. It's acting fast enough, not great enough. Better, like done is better than perfect and just riding with it. Just every day is new. You're going to get new curveballs and you just kind of have to put a smile on your face and have it act like you know it all and obviously reach out to others for help and go that route. But I would say that when you're getting your first clients, you really have to believe in yourself and fake it till you make it is a mentality I would use. I never encourage lying about your resume. I was very upfront with my clients, but you just kind of have to have that mentality. Like if you are not a CEO, ask yourself, what does a CEO do? What time does a CEO wake up? And if you adopt those traits, you eventually become that. Definitely. I want to ask you something you mentioned and this very similar to what I've been through you mentioned like that $2,000 client for a website was more hassle than that $50,000 I've never been able to put my finger on why to be honest and it still baffles me to this day why do you think they're more hard work have you figured it out yet because the person that so this is it's actually funny whenever someone's trying to work with us and if they haggle me on price if they even try to use their tactics to get me to discount my price i am straight up i just don't work with them and one of the reasons is the person that can't afford the larger campaign the person that can only afford a two thousand dollar campaign is the person that cares a lot more is the person that is going to micromanage you a lot more because for the $50,000 campaign, you're working with enterprises. You're working with people that trust you. They get it. They know I, it's funny. It's my largest account, our largest campaign that really helps us with Craftly and the con like all of our case studies. And that client is super hands off because he trusts me. He, I went to him and I was like, do you want the agency route where I'm spending most of my time delivering reports, giving you fancy presentations of how great your campaign is, or would you rather me spend that time working? And there's just this understanding of trust. And with them, the right things matter and the right things are traffic leads and the amount through the door revenue and i would say with the two thousand dollar people you're getting a lot of people where they're not in the same boat and so what they care about is either it's being done for ego where instead of doing data-driven design you have to appeal to their ego or you're just dealing with a whole different breed and so that's another thing I would like to tell younger people that I didn't realize at first. I used to think, okay, people always want discounts. Like you have to give discounts. But one thing I learned is do not discount your craft. Like someone once told me, hey, Iman, that's going to only take you two hours. Why are you charging me $1,000? Like it's two hours of your time. And the way that I say, the way that, or thousands of dollars. And the way that I look at it is that's not two two hours of my time. It's five years of my life. It's all the experiences I went through. It's all of the knowledge that I had. And there's even that old story where this guy needed someone to, his printer stopped working and he didn't realize it was unplugged and he went and paid so many people. And then the person that went and plugged it in, he was like, okay, how, like, why am I going to pay you a crazy amount? You did such little work, but it's like that little work was the game changer, whether you're paying $100 or $10. So it's with me, I realized 
I would rather two or three clients at a much higher level that respect you, respect your craft, and that you're able to do everything for than having 30 clients at the $2,000 mark. And people always, I realize people always, pardon? Go on, go on. What were you saying? Sorry, there's a delay. Uh, people always, I realize they always try to go for volume at first because they're impatient. But I would say even for SEO and the websites, when I did up my prices, there was a series, there was a time where I got a lot of no's. And you just kind of have to stick through it and realize that that's, you'll get a yes soon and that will be much better. Uh, failed businesses, tons of those. Uh, with Craftly, I'll tell you one of the stories of like a big mess up that would be, we were nine to 12 months ago, we were in this economy where people were raising at crazy multiples. You could have an idea and get a $30 million valuation. It was crazy. And we didn't even know we, re we were in it because our last three, four, five years, that was our experience. We never really lived through a dot-com bubble or a 2008 where we had our own money invested so I naturally thought that's how the world works right uh and we did not raise around at that time we decided that we're going to build our product and then raise around once the product's built at a much higher valuation and we were going to sell fun uh by the time we were ready to raise around the whole entire economy got messed up the whole entire market crashed and at that point we were right before we were able to get so many yeses for four million at a 30 million dollar valuation we were able to get tons of yeses and overnight it all fell and now a lot of startups are in the same boat as us where a lot of startups cannot raise funds with great ideas. You're not getting even remotely the close of a valuation as you once were. And it's really hard to stomach like, hey, I was able to get 30 mil. Why can I not get even 20 mil right now or 15 mil? And so if you're going to raise money right now, it's a very hard market. And I guess we the way that you look at SaaS products is let's say it's 80 percent like you have. um Let's say there's 80% profit, right? If we start profiting off the bat without um, investing crazy money into ourselves, we're making 80% of whatever slowly is trickling in, which is not a lot. Real growth is when you throw in like millions and millions and then you're able to like throw that back in until your revenue is like 500 million and then you're able to make 80% of that. Um, and then, so that's how Uber did it. That's how these major startups did it by raising money. And so I firmly believe in that. But in this day and this market, it's next to impossible. You have people taking back their money from funds. You have cryptos completely crashed. Uh, Web3 is no longer something that a lot of people believe in. And so you're working with the impossible here. So my biggest advice and one thing that we're doing that's super hard is we were almost close to failing and what we realized is do you know what we just have to back up and go to like revenue really quick we have to go out there and find users and that way we could grow our monthly recurring revenue versus raising money and that's way better at accepting at a low valuation but that's one thing that 
a lot of startups in this market will fail to, because because you're not able to raise money and they have a business that's not pro, like revenue immediately. Like if you're trying to create the next marketplace, you won't be able to demand. We're lucky it's like money quick, like to use our services. Um, so I'd say if you're starting a company, do it in a profit first model. And then that way you could put that back in. Another hardship, I would say when I was younger, there was a bunch of failed businesses. Like I had so many ideas, but executing on them, like one of them was a, I was in the plastic surgery space with one of my mentors and that was one of my contracts. And he, we found that so many people love looking at before and afters and like the full entire patient journey. And we wish there was there, there was like an Instagram for before and after. So you could kind of swipe and be like, I want to see this plastic surgeon. This one's cool. This is a great one. And write full reviews because I realized people only write reviews if it's either really good or really bad. There's no middle. And so you're not getting the full picture. And so we created this company and the biggest mistake, two biggest mistakes, I did not have a tech background. So I got people in India to do it. And it took me like seven to eight months to build it. I poured in all my funds, was not working. And then I realized, okay, I have this. Now for it to work, I need tons of users. I need tons. I need to sell an app. For an app to work, you have to get like each user costs 10 to 50 dollars and then how are you making money let's say you're profiting off of the doctors putting um up there using ad space problem is no one wants to buy ad space if there's no users so again you're faced with that cat and mouse game and i would say that if you're trying to build a marketplace if you don't have serious funding if you don't have funding vc capital follow-on capital where you're able to not worry about revenue then it's possible but if you're a young girl trying to navigate it without a tech background without um proper revenue immediately it's there's no way that you could survive that. That was one of the big failed businesses that I had spent nine months on and poured my heart and soul into. I guess another one would be in my in my kind of realm of things would be Elevate, even though it turned out to be such a big success with me at that time because I didn't have the experience with I, I believe like being a founder, you have to have experience with development, design, SEO, ad with there, there can't be gaps in your knowledge. Like you have to, even if you don't know how to do it, you have to know what it is to know how it's important. And so being thrown into the ring there, I was incredibly challenged, but now knowing what I know, if I had, if I didn't leave, if I had continued, I would have never been able to run the company, um, just missing those gaps in knowledge. Um, just finally then, I wanted to touch on this and I ask every successful people this, so it's a bit deep. I don't necessarily need to answer in as much detail as I'd hope, clickbait purposes and that. Um, yeah, I'm waiting for the fire, you know, I'm waiting for the fire now. I'm waiting for the fire. I'm building it up so that <laughs> I'm building up the suspense here. Um... I did want to ask your opinion. I'll get to it now. I'll stop waffling. Um, so every successful people, that successful person that I've spoke to has always, not necessarily now that they are successful, but during the journey, they've 
almost struggled with like relationships and dating and all this sort of stuff because the perception is to be successful you have to sacrifice someone else to really really focus right to achieving your goals whether that be in the studios whatnot what are your thoughts on that can you date be in a relationship and chase your dreams or do you like need focus i absolutely disagree on this people that say that you can't be in a relationship while you're why are you achieving your dreams? I think that what I think about that, that I kind of get why people feel like this is that you need to find the right partner. I'll give you an, ex an example. In my career, being a Brazilian singer um, and a pop singer, I think that above anything, a pop singer, um, there is a lot of pressure from the media and how this product communicates to people in the industry, in the media, yeah, that some guys don't really, don't really understand and they don't want to cope with it. They don't want to kind of handle it. So, you know, the body exposure, the a bit sexualized um, dances and what the product brings through, through the camera. Sometimes some guys, some guys just can't, you can't handle it. So that's when it starts bringing bad vibes to your relationship and to you as a professional. And I think that no one needs that. No one needs any type of toxic relationship or comments or, you know, like I, I cannot handle people like this. So I think that the thing is having the right partner by your side, someone that will understand, appreciate and feel comfortable in with what you're doing. So there is people who say, oh, I don't date footballers. Oh, I don't date actors because actors have to do nudity and they have to kiss another people. Oh, I don't date footballers because of the type of um, um, life they have of traveling, you know, where the girls, the harassment, you know, with a lot of women and stuff. Okay, so that's basically it. You need to find someone that understands and appreciate and supports and can deal, can handle what you are and who you are. Music, pop, being a pop artist, being a pop icon, being a pop singer, whatever the name we put on there. For a woman, if the man cannot handle all of that, the paparazzis, the pictures, the people, the harassment, the autographs, the, 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 the tiny little clothes, the dancing, the sexualized, you know, vibes, which is completely normal in the pop industry. You know, every single artist, in the pop industry industry have a little bit of this appeal the sex appeal is not even about sexualizing or not but it's the sex appeal you know there is some men that cannot deal with it they just just can't not with their girlfriend so you cannot be the boyfriend of a pop star you can have be, you can be the boyfriend of a normal girl maybe that works in an office but you cannot be the boyfriend of a, a pop star that's that's what it is and there's nothing wrong with it in my opinion it's just because people are different and they need to understand what fits to them and what not what doesn't so that's i think is pretty much it so i disagree with people that say that you cannot have a relationship while you are pursuing success i think that you just need to have the right person by your side to actually give you all the shine you know and kind of like make you spark you shine even brighter because i believe that love make you shine even brighter if you're with you know what i mean like it's i'm i'm very I'm a bit like I love I love falling in love. I love being in love. I love 
romance. So like if I have someone special in my life putting me up, you know, and just making me feel even more special, I'm pretty sure that I will shine even brighter. So, yeah. No, I do, I do agree with that, to be fair. And like everyone who listens to this knows the amount of like failed relationships and stuff I had. But like when I do look back at it, it's because they don't understand my lifestyle. Like if I need to wake up at like 1am because I've got a meeting with China, I will wake up and have that meeting. And now you've said that. And it's weird because everyone who's come on this has said what I said they said. And like no one like resonated with me a little bit. But now you said that. I'm like, I like that. I like that answer. And I, I think it's 100% true. That attention sounds great, though. So you keep doing you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think that. Yeah, I think that it's. As I said, there is no problem in it, you know. I, I absolutely respect what, you know, there is people who doesn't want to be the centre of attention. There is people who rather be calm, living, you know, in a calm city and having their family and kids. And there is absolutely no problem in this. But there is other people who appreciate being public, you know, and wanting the attention and wanting all this fuzz and stuff. Um, so how how can I date? A guy that doesn't appreciate that I will have to be maybe in three countries in a month, um, dancing on a stage that thousands of people are going to look at me and have their own opinion on me. And some of the opinion is going to be something that maybe my boyfriend doesn't want to listen to, you know, but he doesn't need to emerge in this in this thought. He just needs to understand and kind of acknowledge and be, he just needs to be, um, full of himself and say who is with her is me I know she respects me I know I'm with her you know I understand and that's there is a big difference between Belle Savvy and who is behind Belle Savvy you know like me as Catherine and me as Belle Savvy it's two different people I think it's having someone to understand that it's my job it's my career I'm a professional and I know how to be professional it's the key thing be honest with me be honest and I, I, I'll tell you what, I'll be honest with you first. I'll be real with you. And, like, I don't really talk about this, but, like, you mentioned attention there. From this and stuff I've done, I've started getting quite a bit. One of my, like, videos reached a million people just the other day. Incredible. A lot of attention. A lot of hate as well. But I'm absolutely, yeah, I'm absolutely loving this attention and I am milking it up. I presume you're the same or I will have to leave you to leave you alone in this because no, I'm not. I'm not. I like attention, but it's not in this way. It's different. I like to be iconic so I can change people for the better. It's different. My appeal is a little bit different. Like I know what you mean. I I I had that before. I'm not. I'm in another like situation now about this. Like the perception I have about attention is different. I like to have attention for the right things. Of course, that I love when sometimes you know a restaurant is fully booked, but then I can make it not be fully booked for me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I love this little, this little, this little things that um 
this is nice. It's cute. I feel I feel happy when I can't do this because then you know I can I can have a nice time with my with my friends or my family and say like oh no worries guys I will sort it out so I have a little bit of a how do you say like um I forgot the name the the, the word in English but like I can have a little special you know like oh, I feel a little bit special with it but I like the attention for the right things so I love when people look at me and say you inspire me so much. I want to be like you. How, how, how did you, what were you going through when you heard, when you wrote Queen of My Mind? Because when I listen to it, this is literally what I'm going through. Like, can I, can I take a picture with you? Because you're everything I always wanted to be. Like, can I, can, do you know what I mean? Like, can you please, uh, there, there is, there is this, this little girl. She has almost the same name of me. She is, I think my biggest fan. If I'm not wrong, she's from Austria. And one day she said to me, you changed everything I am with your song, Queen of My Mind. And everything I want to be is myself. And I want myself to be as you are with yourself. And she started bringing more and more of her friends. And I started having more of a fan base. But for me, it's important like that there is a reason for people to be giving me attention. Not only because... I have a couple, you know, like a certain amount of followers or because I'm a, a singer that been on Billboard or, you know, all this stuff. Like, I like the attention for doing something bigger for people.